mercy. We love you, Lord. We ask for your presence in our lives today. Open every life, God, to your presence. And let us receive from you, Lord, what you want to give us. Let our hearts be open. Let our minds be open. Let our spirits be open, God, to receive what you have for us today. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Move in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name.
are capable, Lord, of healing. You are capable of sustaining. You are capable of strengthening. You are capable of bringing hope into hopelessness, to comfort and encouragement in depression. Lord, there is nothing too hard for you. We submit our lives to you, Lord. We submit our friends to you. We submit our family members to you, God. We submit our every need to you, God. And we trust you. We trust you, God, to do the work in your lives. And we surrender. We submit. And we yield. And we say, have your way in our lives, God. Let us glorify you. Let us honor you. Lord, we pray that you would be honored and glorified in every area of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give God praise again. Online. 
or you could drop a basket off over there in the back and, and give your tithes and offering there. And also those online, you can do that as well on your website. So we really appreciate you guys and your giving, your generosity is always awesome to see in this church. We're just so thankful about that. And also, again, I'll mention, Pastor, we have three heating units out, heating in there. So that's why we're in here. And it's a little, you know, I'm a little sweaty, but that's okay. But we need $72,000. We're believing that God will provide like he always yes, does. Amen. So, yes. you know, we're not worried about it, but we got to we gotta just let the people know out there, okay? So we're giving that information to you. And you can designate this, uh, this if you want to give to this certain uh, project, you can do it under buildings or facilities, okay? We need at least 22000 to put down to finance these, uh, these units, okay? So it's been about over 20 years, so we need your guys' help to have our church and our beautiful sanctuary. Again, we're just thankful for what you guys are doing and how you guys are giving to our church. Amen? Amen? Okay, so I am going to read our text, and then we're going to go through it, and the pastor's going to come and preach the message, okay? So bear with me real quick, please. It's found in uh, Genesis 1.26, and I'm going to get some water real quick. We're going to read to uh, verses 2 to 25. So, verse uh, Genesis 126 to 225. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then God said, Let's make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So, God created human beings in his image. In his image, God, God created him. Men and human. He created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish to see, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry on the ground. All my hunter friends out there, right? Can you enjoy that part? All right, y'all. Honey season's coming up soon out here. All right, then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth, all the fruits of the trees for you to, for food, and I've given every green plant as food for the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, and everything that has life, and that, that what's happened. Then God looked over all he had made and saw it was very good. And evening passed, and the morning came, marked the seventh day, and so the creation of the heavens and the earth, and evening, everything in it, that was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of this creation, and he what? He rested for all his work. God wants us to rest. Amen? I know Pastor talked about that. It's really important that we do that. Uh, and then God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was a day that he rested from all his work of creation. This is the account of creation for all the heavens and the earth. When the Lord gave, God made the heavens and the, neither the wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. The Lord God had not yet set rain to the earth and there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust and the ground and he breathed his breath the life of the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Okay, Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and then there he placed a man and he made it. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the earth, from the ground. Trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. I love me some fruit, and I love me some strawberries. <laughs> in the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and, and the tree of knowledge of the good and evil. A river flowed from the land and Eden. 
water the garden and then, then dividing it from the branches. The first branch called the Pishon flowered around the entire land of the Havala where gold, where gold is found. The gold of that land is exceptionally pure, aromatic, resin, and oxen stone and also found in the second branch is called the Gahan. Flow, flow, flow around the entire land of Kush. The third branch called it was the Tigris. Flowed east of the land of Ashan. The fourth branch it's called the Euphrates. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend it and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may, eat, may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat this fruit, you, will, you, sh you are sure to die. Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. It will make, I will make him a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky. He brought them to man to see what he could call them, and then the man chose the name to each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. Thank God he formed a woman. You know, that's what I heard people say. He took a rib from man from dust, but he formed a woman. Okay. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord took the one out of a rib, took out of the man's rib, and then closed it up in the opening. Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought to the man. At last the man exclaimed, this one is the bone from my bone and the flesh from my flesh. So he called her woman because it was taken from man. This explains why a man will leave his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united to one. The man and his wife will be both naked but they felt no shame. Thank God for that. Amen. There was no shame in the Lord. Yes. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for bearing with me. And we have Pastor come up to preach the message. Take care, guys. Thank you, Pastor Chris. Thank you. Now, Jesus himself quoted from this story. This is the last message in the series that we've been preaching, the beginning of the story. Jesus himself quoted from this story. Jesus himself referred to this story as being a foundation for our lives. So to deny the reality of these verses that Pastor Chris has just read and that we've been looking at the last several weeks. To deny the reality of these verses is to deny the teaching of Jesus himself. So the big idea of this whole series has been that the first story in the Bible tells us some of the most foundational truths about God and humanity. And again, I'm going to review. We found six of them. God exists and he is the creator. God exists and he is the creator. Second, we said the biblical creation story makes perfect sense. Third, humanity was created in the image of God. Fourth, the image of God, well, as a part of that, the image of God is in you and the image of God is in every person. Fourth, God designed male and female with intention and purpose. Fifth, God provided. And sixth, God rested. And again, all, these, all of these are on our website, on our YouTube channel, and on Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts. If you missed any of those messages, you can go back and catch up on all of that. Most of that was from Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 2, the scripture begins to go into greater detail about the creation of humans, both male and female. There is wonder, and there is purpose, and there is meaning in the creation of humanity. Now, I know that you are aware of this. There are some people today who say that Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 contradict one another. Uh -huh. There are people who begin to attack 
the validity of the Bible. They attack the truth of the Bible. They attack the integrity of the Bible from the very beginning of the story. And one of the ways in which they attack the reality of the Scriptures is by saying that Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 contradicts one another. This is where Jesus himself comes in and corrects that. To say that Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 are, are different stories and contradict one another is to say that an atlas contradicts one another. Now, an atlas, for those of you who are, who are kind of younger, before the age of GPS, before the age of Google Maps and Waze and all of that, we used to go to the gas station and we'd buy a big book, you know? Big book, big book. And it had a map of every state in the country in there. So it'd be like, I don't know, 86 pages with all these various maps. And the first, the first page was a map of the United States. And it would have the interstate system. You could see, you couldn't see, you couldn't see Highway 70 on there, you know, and you couldn't see, you know, Birdsong Road on there, but you could see all the interstates that crisscrossed all over the United States of America. That was on page one. You flip to page two, then there's Alaska, page three, Alabama, and on and on and on it goes until you get to about page 36 or so, you can see Tennessee. And then in Tennessee, you can see a more detailed map of the state of Tennessee. The page one of the entire United States is an overview and it's general and page 36 is the state of Tennessee with all of its side roads. Do those contradict one another? No, no. no they do not. One is an overview, one is more detailed, and that's the difference between Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. Francis Schaeffer in his book Genesis in Space and Time points out Jesus himself ties Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 Together, The Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, had come and they once again were trying to trap him. And they asked him a question about marriage and divorce. And to them it's complicated, but to Jesus it's not complicated. Jesus responds to their question in Matthew chapter 19 verses 4 and 5. And he says, haven't you read from the scriptures? He's pointing to the scriptures saying this is the word of God. They record that from the beginning... God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united in one. So Jesus is responding to a question from the Pharisees. In his response, he quotes two verses that he calls Scripture. He calls them the Word of God, and they are Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, and Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. So Jesus puts Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 together, and he sees no contradiction. He puts them together because they go together. Jesus himself answers one of the big issues that people use today to try to attack the truth of the Word of God. That same episode is repeated again in Mark chapter 10. Twice in the Gospels, Jesus quotes from Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, and he puts them together as a seamless unit. Say, Pastor, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Why do I need to know that? We need to know this now because you're going to see this again as we continue to walk through the book of Genesis in the coming year. It is typical in the book of Genesis for a subject to be dealt with in a general way and then to be dealt with again in a, in a more specific way. For example, we're going to get to the story of Abraham and his sons. And then there was Isaac, the son of Abraham. And Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. Esau came first. Well, they don't tell us very much about Esau. Jacob comes second. And Genesis goes into much greater detail about Jacob. In Genesis chapter 1, 
humanity is put in their setting in the universe as a whole. In Genesis chapter 2, the story of humanity becomes the central theme of the book. Another thing people question today and they attack the truth of God's word, they, they say, do you really think Adam and Eve were real people? Do you really think Adam and Eve were real people, real physical human beings, or is, or is this just a parable? You know, may, maybe Moses was just kind of writing a parable or an allegorical story to represent something bigger. And maybe, maybe this whole thing of Adam and Eve is just kind of a, a general, general truth. And we shouldn't really look at all these details as being totally literal. You will find this today even in the church. The problem with that viewpoint is, again... Jesus himself, Jesus himself spoke of Adam and Eve as being real people. Amen. And the view of Jesus Christ was that Adam and Eve were truly the first humans in history. Romans chapter 5 verse 12, the Apostle Paul also says, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. There was a first man, one man his name was Adam. And yes, Adam in Hebrew means man. Adam is a Hebrew word that means man. But Paul said again in Romans chapter 5, verse 14, still everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol. Watch this. Paul says Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was to come. Just because he says Adam was a symbol does not mean that Adam was a real person. I am here to tell you today that I am a real person. How many believe that I am a real person? Some of you shook my hand this morning. You touched me, flesh and blood, right here. But in many ways, I am the symbol of Camden First Assembly throughout our community. Just because I am a symbol does not mean I'm not a real person. Just because Paul referred to Adam as being a symbol does not mean he wasn't a real person. The Apostle Paul was one of the most intellectual and one of the most educated people of his day. And for the Apostle Paul, Adam was just as literal a person in history as Moses. If that were not the case, everything Paul says is meaningless. Everything Paul says is meaningless. He goes on, Romans chapter 5, verse 15. There is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, this other man, Jesus Christ. So here Paul says that Adam is just as much a true figure of history as Jesus Christ. And even those who do not follow and believe in Jesus Christ know that Jesus was a real person. All of the people who attack Christianity, they attack faith, they attack the Bible... Almost nobody, almost nobody attacks the fact that there was a person in history, a real historical figure known as Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That is historical. It is an incontrovertible truth. So if Jesus was a real person, even to unbelievers, Jesus and Paul both said that Adam was just as real a flesh and blood human being as Jesus Christ himself was. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 21 and 22. Paul says, so you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, 
Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Again, over and over and over again, the Bible is telling us Adam is just as real a person, just as real a historical human being as was Jesus Christ himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 45. The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person. The last Adam, that is Christ, became a life-giving spirit. There, the Apostle Paul is quoting from one of the verses that Pastor Chris read a moment ago. He's quoting from Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. So if you say, if you accept the view, if you accept the view that Adam and Eve were not really real, that this is just a parable, this is just a story to kind of illustrate how creation and humanity came about. They were not real, literal, historical people. If you say that's a myth, if you say it's just a tall tale passed down through the generations, if you say that, you call the entire scripture into question. And that's why people attack the truth of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Because if they can, if they can undermine the literal truth of this story, they undermine the entire scripture. If we do not believe that the story of Adam and Eve is real, then we can't believe anything in the Bible. If we don't believe the story of Adam and Eve is real, we can't believe anything in the Bible. And the Apostle Paul and Jesus are not the only one who makes these points. Luke, Matthew and Luke both give a genealogy of Jesus Christ. Luke's genealogy ends this way in Luke 3.38. Kenan was the son of Enosh. Enosh was the son of Seth. Seth was the son of Adam. Adam was the son of God. He viewed Adam as being just as real a person as me going back in my genealogy and saying my dad is James M. Blankenship, my granddad is Robert Eldridge Blankenship, my great-granddad is Joseph Blankenship, my great-great-great-granddad is Thomas Brody. I mean, just as real a person because he's listed in the genealogy. That is a large list of real historical people. We know them to be real and historic through the Old Testament and the New Testament, so the existence of God... Not just Adam, but the existence of God and Adam is just as real as the entire line of people listed in the genealogy. If you take away the fact that there was a man named Adam, then you must deny that the Jewish race exists today. You even deny, if, if you take away the fact that there was a real Adam, you deny that the human race exists today. We are not real we are not here. This is a figment of some crazy imagination. We don't understand it all. Actually, that is the view of Christian science. You Christian scientists, none of this is real. None of us are here. We're all living in some crazy dream. None of it's really real. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, you see it's over. You say, Pastor, why are you dwelling on this at the beginning of this message? Because we see it throughout the entire scripture. Because this is one of the key points of attack from those who want to undermine our belief in the truth of the Bible. And the scriptures over and over and over and over again point back to this as being a real foundation for us. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. For God made Adam first, and after he made Eve. And it was not Adam who, who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived, and sin was the result. Now, we're going to leave the issue of deception for a later time. I'm not going to get into that controversy right now. But the emphasis is here that Eve was just as real a single person and individual as was Adam. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. Eve is a real person. 
This is a real story. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is not just a fairy tale. All of the scriptures point back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 as a foundation. And these people are considered real people by the other biblical authors. If I deny the existence of a real Eve, I deny my own existence. And if I were to come to most of you, I think hopefully all of you, but, but hopefully all of you, so maybe most of you, I'm not a real person. I'm not really here. You'd say something's wrong with him. <laughs> if I deny the existence of Eve, I deny my own existence. If you believe the Apostle Paul, if you believe that you exist, you must believe that Eve existed along with the details of the scriptures in Genesis. And so then, if this is true, if Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 is true, if the story of Adam and Eve is true, then the Bible is true, and we need to know what the Bible says and live by it. First Corinthians chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. For the first man did not come from woman, but the first woman came from man. And man was not made for woman, but woman was made for man. An important part of a larger point that Paul is making in this book, to his letter to the Corinthians, is that Eve was created after Adam, totally agreeing with the Genesis account. It agrees. We could go on to talk about 1 Corinthians 6.16, Ephesians 5.31. Paul quotes from Genesis. Paul quotes from Genesis. Also, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Cain, the first child of Adam and Eve, he's believed to be a real historical figure. In Hebrews chapter 11, Abel, Enoch, Noah, all are emphasized to be as real as Father Abraham. So we're not dealing, I just want to be clear today, we are not dealing with a fairy tale. Fairy tale. We're not dealing with a made-up story. Some people are like, well, well, you know, even if it's all not true, it, 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 it has some sort of underlying truth to teach us. No, that's not what it is. It's a real story. It's a true story. And Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 do not contradict each other. They agree with each other. They are a unit. Adam and Eve were real historical people, just as real as you and me. And it's emphasized by Paul and by Luke and by Jesus Christ himself. So again, what's the point? What's the point, Pastor? Why, why are you emphasizing this so strong today? What, what is being told to us in the story of of the creation of humanity. What is being told to us? God created human beings to have a wonderful relationship with Him. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm. That's why we're here. Amen. That's why we exist. So many people go, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why I exist. I don't know what my purpose is in life. I've got your answer. You exist to have a relationship with the God of the universe who created everything. Yeah. Yeah. I go out west. I go see the mountains. I go see the lakes. I go see the beauty of creation. I can go to the Smoky Mountains. I can just enjoy the beauty of the creation right here around where I live. And I'm like, wow, God is awesome. We've got, a, we've got relatives that live on a lake in Orlando. This is a funny story. We've got relatives that live on a lake in Orlando. And, and they look out over the lake towards the west. And the sun always sets on their lake. Um, and it's just so beautiful, so gorgeous. And they're always posting pictures all over Facebook about the beauty of God's creation and the great sunset. And, and so, so we're down there one time visiting. And my Aunt Jackie, she says, she says, oh, we have such beautiful sunsets here in Florida. And she, my wife, she, my wife's proud of being a Hoosier. She's proud of being from Indiana. She got a little tired of hearing about all the beautiful. And she said, "We have beautiful sunsets in Indiana too." And my aunt Jackie said, "You have sunsets in Indiana?" <laughs> 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 so, 
Does the sun really rise and set in Indiana? Yes, it does. On the cornfields and the, all that, you know. But you were created. God created a real person. Called him Adam. Created a real person. Adam named her Eve. They were real and you were real. And the whole point is that we are to have a relationship with Amen. him. That's, right. that's the purpose of life. That's the purpose of life. And ultimately, that's why Jesus came, because we couldn't figure out how to have a relationship with God. That's right. And so God came in our form to show us how to have this relationship with God. That's why it all exists. That's why we exist. The reason you exist and what will give you the most joy and the most fulfillment in your life is to have a wonderful relationship with God. We can gather together every week as Christians and we can talk about things we need to do as Christians and we talk about that a lot and the scriptures teach that a lot. But I'll tell you the number one message we have for us and for our church and for our community is that God wants to have a relationship, a personal relationship with us. Not just, yeah, I believe Jesus is the Son of God and I'm going to pray a prayer and I'm going to sign my name a card and I'll be a member of the church and I'll know that I'm going to be on my way to heaven. No, a relationship. A relationship. You can come to church and you can sit and you cannot join a small group and you cannot ever get into a relationship with anybody. Not a real relationship. Never have anybody over for dinner. Never really get acquainted with anybody. You know their names and you see them on Sunday and you say hi, but you never really enter into a deep relationship. That's how some people approach Christianity. I accept it. I accept Jesus. He's the Son of God. I prayed the prayer. I know my sins are forgiven. I'm on my way to heaven. Hallelujah. There's more than that. Amen. He wants you to have a deep, intimate relationship with Him. And that's what this is all about. That's what you were created for. That's why you exist. So very quickly today, six truths from this passage that Pastor Chris read for us today bear this out. Number one, humanity was made in the image of God. You say, Pastor, you're repeating yourself. I know I am because the Scriptures repeat themselves. So I don't need to spend much time on this. We've already devoted two messages in this series to this. But because, because I have this aspect, and you, we have this aspect of likeness to God. He made us in His image. No other part of creation. He made us in His image. And because we are in His image, we can have a deep, intimate relationship with Him. Because we are made in His image, we can receive this truth. The first human occupant of this world was an intelligent, thinking person with the power to shape and influence the future of humanity for all time, and he did. The first human being was not some sort of Neanderthal. I don't, I don't know about that. I know that they've been searching for a missing link for years, and they can't find it. There ain't one. So whatever kind of creature that was, it wasn't human. It wasn't what we are today. And there's no link between that and us. The very first human being was created by God was an intelligent, thinking, rational person who could affect destiny, and he did by the choice that he made. God can think thoughts through this man. There, the, the human can talk with God in a way no other part of creation does. This human is a revelation of his maker. The human can sin. The human can pray. The human can commune with God. And when I understand that the image of God is in me, then I can understand how God could come to me as a man. 
to know me, to connect with me, to relate to me. The idea of God coming to us as us in our form, that's not irrational. That's not foolish. Because we have been made in his image. We have been made in his likeness. Secondly, humanity contains the life of God. Not only the image of God, but the life of God. Verse 7 of Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living being. The, Greek, the, the Hebrew word is ruach. The Greek word is pneuma. It means spirit. It means breath. It means life. You are more than just a compilation of atoms and molecules and tissues and DNA. We are not merely dust. We are not merely body. We have a living soul. We do not think with our body. We do not express emotions with our body. We do not choose with our body. Our body is not immortal. All of those things are products of the soul. They have been given to us by God when God breathed the breath of life into the nostrils of Adam. So, by the power of God, a man rose up from the dust. And it's obvious that what God breathed into man could not be the air that you and I breathe. God breathed into man his own breath. And all of the power and the attributes of the life of God came with it. It wasn't just mouth to mouth to help that guy get started. God was putting all of his attributes into us. So my body is important. My body is important, and I care for my body because it is where my soul lives. My body has been breathed into it, the life of God. The Spirit of God lives in my body and in your body. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God? You are. Not that room. We don't need that room. We are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God lives in you. God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. For God's temple is holy. And you are that temple. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, or 18 through 20. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God in the same way God breathed into Adam. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, the blood of Jesus, so you must honor God with your body. 2 Corinthians 6.16 And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them, walk among them, I will be their God, they will be my people. So we were created in the image of God. We have the life of God in us. Third, again, God is the provider. Again, we touched on this in a previous message, but this is a strong emphasis here that God wants us to know and to remember. Genesis chapter 1, verse 29. Then God said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth, all the trees for your food. Genesis 2, 9. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful, produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is a tremendous arrangement. This is fantastic. Everything was provided for. He has given us this world to provide for us. We do have to work it, but if we take advantage of the resources that he has provided for us in this world, it's all here for us. Yeah. God's provided. Number four, God gave humanity purpose. He 
gave humanity purpose. Our purpose is found in him. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to watch over it. Another translation says to work it. Notice this was before the fall. Boy, I hate going to work. I hate my job. Boy, I wish the fall hadn't taken place. Then I could just sit around laying underneath the tree somewhere, letting the fruit drop into my mouth, and I wouldn't have to worry about anything. No, no. Before man sinned, he gave him work. Now, he didn't have to do it so hard by the sweat of his brow with everything in creation fighting against him, but we were working before the fall. Work is not a part of the curse. Work is part of the purpose. Mm -hmm. We find work, we find purpose. Work existed before the fall. Work might be more difficult as a result of the fall, but work is a blessing that God has given to us. So we work according to our purpose. We were not created to live on continual vacation. I'm sorry to break that news to you. <laughs> if everybody this week were told that we would be free from work, we would be free, and everything would be provided for us, we might rejoice for a short time. But I think it would be short. Because pretty soon you'd find yourself without purpose. And without purpose, you're without fulfillment. You're aimless. And it is true, idle hands are the devil's workshop. If you're wondering where that's found in the Bible, it's in the book of Second Opinions, chapter 3, verse 14. Yeah. But it is true. It is true. Too much time on our hands without purpose causes us to get into mischief. And is that not true? Is that not the condition for many who live in large populations without work, without purpose? It leads to aimlessness, despair, and trouble. So work is a provision of God to give us purpose in life. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command, those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Now, that does not exclude charity. It does not exclude helping people when they need help. But it is the natural result for someone who is able to work and chooses not to. The natural result is they are not going to be able to provide even the basics for themselves. And it leads to purposelessness and chaos and pain. Number five, God wants the best for humanity. The fifth thing we learn from this passage is God wants the best for humanity. Genesis chapter 2 verse 16, but the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. In a couple of weeks, we're going to start a new series called Getting Back to the Tree of Life. We're going to dig deep for several weeks into the differences between these trees. And what they mean for us today. But God, God places all of us under moral restrictions. And those moral restrictions are for our good. There are things which we were made for and created for, which were made for us. And there are things that were made which are not for us. And you can choose because you have the image of God in you and you have the ability to choose. You can choose to ignore those restrictions that God gave us for our good. That is exactly what Adam did. That is exactly what Eve did. And many people still do. So the mess that exists in this beautiful world that God created for us is a result of living outside of the restrictions that God made for our good. When you wake up in the morning and your shoulder hurts and your knee hurts and your back hurts and your body doesn't work the way it should, then you know that the Bible is true. <laughs> it's proof it's every ache, every pain every 
sore throat. It's proof that in the beginning, man chose to live outside of the restrictions God made for his good. So there are still certain trees. There are still certain trees in this world we need to avoid. Lust, greed, bitterness, lying, cheating, stealing, destroying our bodies, which is the temple of God, adultery, murder, backbiting, gossip, unkindness, anything that's not pure, anything that's not good, anything, anything you have a question about. <laughs> it's usually one of those restrictions that we need to avoid for our good. And, and these restrictions aren't troublesome. They're not unreasonable. I just don't understand. I just don't understand why I can't have four girlfriends in addition to my wife. <laughs> Jesus said no man can serve two masters. Come on. <laughs> I, I just don't understand why, why when I get angry, I just can't haul off and punch that guy in the face. You can. He might punch you back. Or you might bust all the knuckles in your hand. There's going to be consequences. God knows what is best for us. He knows. He created us. So we must obey for our own good. God doesn't want us to die, but the wages of sin is death every single time. Every single time. So we need to live the way God leads us to live through the Word of God. Genesis 1 and 2 is the foundation for this. Don't do what He tells us is not good for us. Don't do what He clearly in love has told us what will be destructive for us. It's a life of faith. You've got to trust his word. You've got to trust his word. A parent doesn't always explain every reason to his child. But the parent is guiding the child for their own good and for their own safety. Mm -hmm. So why did God put the tree there? Why did God put the tree there? Why, why did he put a tree there and tell them they couldn't eat of it? Because he made man in his image, which means we have decisive power. I mean, that's power. We have the power to choose. Without the tree, there would be no power to choose. Without the forbidden tree, only one out of a whole continent of stuff, only one, but it was enough to make us in the image of God with the power to choose our own destiny. Without that, we wouldn't have God's image and all the wonder and power and blessing of that that we've discussed. And finally, number six today, woman was God's greatest creative gift to man. Genesis 2, verses 19 through 25. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. God knew that man would need a helper. Again, we talked about this earlier in this series. The same word is used multiple... The same word, remember this? The same word that's used to describe Eve given to Adam as his helper is the very same Hebrew word used throughout the Old Testament to describe God as our helper. So don't be offended by that. God knows we need help. 
He not only made himself available to us, guys, he gave us women to help us out when we need help. We need him. Men and women need one another. I heard a story one time about the Duke of Bavaria. The Duke of, ba of Bavaria, his castle was under siege. And he gave up. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't defeat the army that was coming to attack him. The Duke's wife demanded for herself and for the other ladies of the castle that the enemy would grant them safe passage to a place of safety with whatever they could carry. So the army outside granted them the request. And so the wives came out of the castle with their husbands on their backs <laughs> and transported them to safety. I'll tell you, she was never more beautiful to the Duke of Bavaria that day than when the wife made that deal with the enemy and, and saved the life of every man. God, God looked at man and said, this guy's going to need some help. <laughs> so husband, your wife is God's greatest gift to you other than Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7 says, Woman reflects man's glory. If man is the head, then the woman is the crown. She's a crown to her husband. The man was dust refined. The woman was dust double refined. The woman is one more step further removed from the earth. She was not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him. But Eve was taken from the side of Adam that she might be equal with him near to his heart that she might be loved by him from under his arm that she might be protected by him and the confusion of these purposes simply leads to the destruction of God's purposes for us which is good and loving and peaceful and joy woman was not created to be man's slave wherever the Bible has been taken it teaches the elevation of women marriage brings the two together as one no longer two but one in completeness. It is a grievous and dangerous sin to violate this bond of marriage, whether by adultery or brutality or neglect. This bond of marriage is not to be divided and weakened by having more than one wife. The bond is weakened when people engage with sexual partners outside of marriage. Fact is, statistics prove Marriages are happiest and last longer when women and men wait for marriage to become sexually involved. Who knew? Who knew? They've been doing these studies for the last 40 years, and it proves over and over and over. People say, well, I think we're going to live together for a while before we get married to see if it works out. You know what? <coughs> Sometimes they think it's going to work out and they get married. There is a much higher rate of divorce among couples who marry after living together than couples who wait until marriage. The statistics have proven what the Word of God says to us and how the Word of God guides us. For those who say that, God's plan is always good. God's plan is always for the best. Malachi chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Didn't the Lord make you one with His wife? Didn't, make, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit you are His. And what does He want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart, remain loyal to the wife of your youth, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. So guard your heart, do not be unfaithful to your wife. I don't believe the Scriptures are ever given us these words as condemnation for anything in our past where we've messed up, but it's given to us to get us on the right road from where we are going into the future. 
And what's the purpose of the godly union? Godly children. Our first, our first field of evangelism is in our own home. That we might raise godly children. So men, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave himself up. He gave himself up for her. That's how he led. He gave his life. Thank God daily for your wife. Lead her in your relationship with the Lord together. See, the ideal relationship between a husband and wife, that's a picture of the ideal relationship that God wants to have with us. In the Old Testament, God was the husband, Israel was the bride. In the New Testament, Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. Our marriages are meant to be an illustration before the world of the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. This is what we were created for. This is why we exist. And these six truths bear this out. You are made in the image of God. That's high. That, that elevates us, doesn't it? You were created in the image of God. Yes. You contain the life of God. You're not, just, you're not just some random being. You contain the life of God. God is your provider. God gives you purpose. God wants what's best for you. God has given us Women as the greatest creative gift to man. So all of this points to the fact that the ideal relationship for us is a relationship with God. Amen. The reason we exist, the reason you're on this planet, the reason you are breathing is to have a relationship with the God of the universe. Yes. To have a relationship with the God who created you. So let me ask you, how's your relationship with God? How's your relationship with God right now? Is it as fulfilling as God wants it to be? Is it, is it fulfilling for you? Or is it just, well, Pastor, I know I'm on the way to heaven. That's wonderful. But that's not all God has for you. He has an ongoing, living, breathing, communicating, talking relationship with you that he desires for you. Let's stop and let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord, for the power of your holy word. Lord, I pray that what we've learned today will help us, that, that we would not be deceived by those who undermine the word of God, even by undermining the very beginning stories. Help us to realize, Lord, that we find in these first couple of chapters of Genesis how you made us, why you made us. You have a purpose for our lives, and ultimately that purpose is to have a relationship with you, the Almighty God. You are not far from any of us, Paul said. Though you are bigger than all the infinite galaxies and universes that keep being discovered, you are not far from us. You are not way, way, way out there. You are not beyond knowing. You came as a man and gave your life as the sacrifice for our sins so that we could have a relationship with you. You don't want us to be living outside of a relationship with you. You don't want us to be living aimlessly, Lord, and without purpose. You want us to know you and have this relationship and your life within us fueling the purpose and fulfillment of our lives. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to ask you, is that how you feel today? Do you feel that the life of God in you is fueling purpose and fulfillment for your life? Is that what drives you? It's what he wants. It's what he wants. Those of you that are here today, husband and wife, 
Is your marriage reflecting the relationship he wants to have with humanity? Is your, is your relationship a picture of the kind of relationship he desires with humanity? That's what he desires for us. That's why he desires a godly relationship so that, so that we can show forth the kind of relationship God wants to have with his people as his bride. Father, we love you today. We thank you for your goodness. If you're here today and you are not sure that you are in a right relationship with God, the Bible says it's simply by faith. Jesus did the work. You don't have to learn a bunch of stuff and memorize a bunch of stuff and recite a bunch of stuff. All you have to do is say, I believe Jesus is the Son of God and He died on the cross for my sins. You put your faith and your trust in who the Bible says Jesus is and what the Bible says Jesus did. You confess that to the Lord and the Bible says you are in a right relationship with Him. From that point on, it can grow and grow and grow and become deeper and stronger. But there is a beginning point to any relationship. And when we, when we have this moment at the end of every service, I want our church family to know this is not the end. This is the beginning. Yeah. This is the start. This is the first step. I remember when I ran cross country and when I swam in high school, I... I'd stand at that starting line or I'd bend over at that starting block and I'd be so nervous, but I'd be ready, I'd be ready, I'd be ready for that gun to blast so I could get started in that race. And today, you can get started. You can get started in a relationship with Jesus and the gun is saying, Lord Jesus, I confess my sins and I accept who you are. I want us to pray a prayer together today and I want our church family to reaffirm your faith in the Lord. And if you're here today... You don't know for certain that you are forgiven of your sins. You don't know for certain that you're in a relationship with Jesus. I ask you to begin this relationship today. It'll be, it's what you were created for. It's what all of us were created for. And some of you, maybe you've done this before and you've drifted away. You need to come back. You need to come home. You need to renew your faith in the Lord. So pray with me right now. Father in heaven, Amen. thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I believe you are God. I believe you are God. You came in the flesh. Died on the cross to take the punishment for my sins. Forgive me of my sins. I receive your forgiveness. And I want a relationship with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now just thank the Lord for his goodness in your own words right now. Just thank the Lord for his love, for his goodness. Thank you, Lord, that you made us for relationship with you, and that's the purpose of our lives. God, I pray for every person here right now, God, that they would find their purpose in you and that our relationship with you would grow deeper, 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 and deeper. If you prayed that prayer today for the first time or for the first time in a long time, I'd love to pray with you. And if you'll let us know on that connection card that was in the handout that Pastor Chris mentioned earlier, then, then I'll be praying with you and I'll be available to encourage you in the next steps you take on this journey of following Jesus. We'd love to know that you made this commitment today. Let's stand together. I know I know we had a prayer time earlier, but I feel like we need to still offer opportunities for prayer. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come again. And a couple of things I, I want us to do today. And As always, you can come for any reason. If you need prayer and haven't received prayer yet, you can come for any reason. There's a couple specific specific areas that I felt led for us to pray. First of all, as we go back into worship for these next few moments, if you are here as husband and wife, if you're here together, I want to encourage husbands to turn to their wives, and I want you to pray prayers of blessing over your wife today.
want you to pray prayers of thanksgiving for your wife today. And then some of you might be here today and you might just say, you know, I, I want to be more the image of Jesus. I know I need to be more the image of Jesus than I am. I want to encourage you to come today. And then another area that I felt the Lord laid on my heart, maybe you'd say, I want to know more of my purpose today. I want to know more of my purpose today. So worship team, come back. Prayer team, come back. And if you want to be more in the image of Jesus, please come. If you want a prayer to know more of your purpose, I encourage you to please come. And while we're doing this, husbands, just turn to your wives and pray prayers of blessing over your wife today. Thank you, Jesus. I'll pray. I'll pray.